0: have a Bible, and I hope you do, turn with me to John chapter (coughs) 1, as we continue through the prologue of John's gospel. John John chapter 1, we'll be be looking at verses 9 through 13. Hear the word of the Lord. There was the true light which coming into the world enlightens every man. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. But he came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Let's pray. Father God, may you peel back the curtain of heaven once again. May we see your Son high and lifted up, seated upon your throne, claiming victory over sin and over death, over the devil, over the idols of our own heart. May we heed the warnings of Scripture. May we not ignore Him Father, may we not reject him, but may we welcome him into our hearts. May we believe in him. May we keep on believing if we are so inclined this morning. Bring us home, Father. May the gospel have its effect to bring new life this morning. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. If you if you know me, you know I I like to read, um, and, I, and I and I I don't I don't have the opportunity to read a lot right now, just the season of life that I'm in. But I, I do like to read um, all kinds of books. I mean biographies and uh, nonfiction, um, just about anything. But I do enjoy a good fictional story, and I, I find that the slot of time that is best suited for me to read a fictional story is right before bed. I've learned that I can't read a very weighty book right before bed because I don't retain any of it, and I, I go to sleep very easily. Um, I, I don't know about you; you may be the type that you you fall asleep watching TV, and I can't. When I watch TV, I just stay awake typically. Um, but if I have a, a decent book, uh, you know, especially just a good, good solid fiction book, um, I can read it lightheartedly and fall asleep. And Pick back up, you know, on the next three sentences the next night, and read three or four sentences, and you know, get through it a little bit here and there, um, you know. Or uh, I, and I've been known on multiple occasions to be reading a, a book and the book fall on my face because I've I've fallen asleep, you know. My wife can tell you fun stories about that. Um, but uh, anyways, the the so the most recent book that I've I've been reading and I've picked back up again and I find myself going back to this book uh, season after season is. Uh, is Bunyan's *Pilgrim's Progress*, um, and it, it's a, a fantastic book, and I, I highly commend it to you. If you've never written, uh, if you've never read it, um, and if it's been a while since you, you've read it, I, I suggest that you pick it up again and read it. And one of the interesting things about reading older books, particularly older Christian books, is is the way that the gospel is captured in a previous generation, even centuries ago. And and, and seeing it brought into current context. And as I'm reading Pilgrim's Progress. And, and I'm, I'm reading this story again. And I'm reminded of the way B- uh, Bunyan captures the story. That it's Christianity is not easy. I- it's very easy to slip off the path. To miss it. And I'm, I'm still early in the, in the story at this point. But Christian he's, he's gone through the, uh, uh, the narrow gate. He's, he's become a, a Christian. And the first groups of people that he meets are not the church, in its bright flash and and pomp and everything, but people who claim to be Christians but are genuinely not. They appear to be in the path or they're beside the path, but they're not genuine believers. In that, in reading that story, I, I'm, I'm I look at where cultural Christianity today is and where culture is, and and I see it in such stark contrast. I'm like, wow. Christianity today, in, in its broad scope, and I'm using that term very broadly, says it's very easy to become a Christian. That, that, that everyone is a child of God, basically. And, and again, it stands in contrast to what Bunyan says, or what he's, what he's showing in, in the story. Because the, if you know anything about Pilgrim's Progress, it's an adventure story. The question is, is Christian going to make it to the celestial city? Is he is he going to make it past the lions? Is he going to make it past the dungeon of despair, the doubting castle? Is he is he going to choose the wrong path and go by the wayside? The question is is he going to is he going to make it? And and that again that stands in drastic contrast to the way the gospel is sort of doled out today in our in our culture. It's that well everybody's a everybody's a child of god. Everybody's a a Christian if you've if you were raised in church in any capacity, you went to VBS or you were in GAs or RAs or, you know, whatever your your church had. And, oh, I did that thing. I've got that stamp. And I've moved on. And so, in in any sense, when you read a book like that, and I, I don't know about you, but I have to just remind myself, okay, what does Scripture say? Which one's truth? Wh- which path, which story is genuine? And we come to this point in our study in John and it and it parallels that so much because as I'm studying for the sermon, you know, I'm looking at this going, Wow, this, this section of John's prologue, I mean, this is this is Christianity one oh one. This is this is the basics of the gospel. This should be easy. I'm reading, I'm studying through it, and I'm looking at myself and I'm going, How easily I forget? How how easily do I not heed the warnings in Scripture and I I I'm I, I don't I don't see the gospel for what it is. And so this morning, we're going to look at this aspect of being a child of God. I want to raise the first question, you know, are you a child of God? Not not have you grown up in church, not are you in church this morning, but ask it from, from the evangelist perspective, from John's gospel, what does it mean to be a child of God, and, and are you one? So that's what I'll go with this morning. So we're going to walk through this and and ask that question. So the first in the first verse in verse 9 says there was the true light which coming into the world enlightens every man. Now it'd be very easy to come to this from a uh from one perspective and say see here here's where Jesus came into the world and the gospel enlightens everyone. And so everyone who's heard anything of the gospel is a child of God. Everyone's a child of God. Jesus Jesus sort of brings into the world this amorphous moral light that sort of gives, gives the culture a, 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 a boost, basically. You know, he's ranked among the, the many spiritual gurus who you know, have come over the centuries and have added to the, the, the value of humanity and, and trying to make us better people, in the sense. Well, if that's your perspective, it's going to be very hard to square that with, one, where John's come from, and where he's going in the, in the next few verses. Look at verse 3. He says, John says, all things came into being through him. I'm sorry, not 3. Verse 5. He says, the light shines in the darkness. He's speaking of Jesus. And the darkness did not comprehend it. The, the darkness didn't appropriate it. So in, in, in a sense, Jesus came into the world, and the darkness... Didn't, didn't appropriate. Didn't value it. Okay. if you know anything about light and darkness. That's. I mean that should really shock us. What is darkness? Darkness is the absence of light. When light comes into darkness. It must by its very nature. Appropriate the light. Right. And so this is meant to shock us. That the very light of life. Came into the world. And, and darkness didn't, didn't value it. Didn't appropriate it. Didn't do what it was supposed to. So there's. There's one sense. Now, we could go all over the place with this, and, and this, is, this is true. Like I said, this is Christianity 101. We're going we're gonna to be kind of really scratching the surface, and the, the great thing about going through a gospel like this, especially with John, is these themes are going to come back to us again and again and again. So that that's relieves a burden on me because I don't feel the need to do an exhaustive aspect of the new birth or of all of these things so we're just going to touch on elements of it and that we'll come back to this later as we move through John's gospel for the next 10 years Um, (laughs) (laughs) you think I'm joking (laughs) no (laughs) that's right (laughs) so but let's go let's go one place just to just to help us out here turn over to John chapter 3 John chapter 3. Look at verses 19 through through 21. Now this is John chapter 3. This is the the quintessential chapter in John about the new birth. If you know anything about this chapter, uh, at the beginning of the chapter, Nicodemus, who's a Pharisee, comes to Jesus, asks Jesus questions. This is where Jesus says, you must be born again. He explains what this means. And he moves through, and you get to verse um, uh, 16, the most you know, well-known verse probably in all of Christianity at all. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life, right? This is, the, th- this is sort of the one that's written on all the t-shirts, but we have to keep reading, right? We've got to keep everything in context lest we lose the overall message. And in verse 19 through 21, Jesus gives us an explanation of, the, uh, of what it means that he illuminates, Verse 19, this is the judgment that the light has come into the world and men love the darkness rather than the light for their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But he who practices the truth comes to the light so that his deeds may be manifested as having been wrought in God. What does he, was he mean? He's meaning that Jesus didn't come into the world to give us a spiritual pep talk. He didn't come into the world to sort of affirm any inner goodness that's within us. He came to show us our need for grace. As A.W. Pink says, quote, we're accountable beings. It's created in the image of God. And we we are, as as humans, created in the image of God. There's an accounting that takes place where God has created us for a purpose in glorifying him, and, and we're to, to do that. That's what we're created for. But as we read here, when Jesus comes into the world, he shows us, he shows us how much we fall short of that. And, the, and this is what we see. When you, when, you walk, when you follow Jesus through the gospels and he comes in contact with people, you notice he touches their hearts the, uh, uh, take the rich young ruler, for instance. Rich young ruler comes to Jesus and says, what must I do to, to, enter, to have eternal life? And Jesus says, go sell everything that you have and give it to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven. And the man goes away sad. What has Jesus done? He's pointed out to the man, you love your stuff more than you love people and more than you love God. It's the idol in your heart. What about when the uh, the woman at the well comes to Jesus, and they're talking, and Jesus starts talking about living water, and this woman says, well, sir, give me some of this living water. I mean, if you're in an evangelist situation, somebody says that, okay, all right, you know, hey, let's pray this prayer. But Jesus, what does he do? He says, go get your husband. And the woman says, well, I don't have a husband. And Jesus says, that's right, you, you've actually had five. <laughs> I mean, in all the books, that's not what you say, right? You know, I mean, here's this woman wanting living water, and Jesus is giving an opportunity to shame her. I mean, that. What wh- what do you do with that? But what is Jesus doing? He's he's putting his thumb on the idol of her heart, and saying you're you're chasing at you've been chasing after the affections of men rather than the affections of God. You you've taken the the blessing of the covenant of marriage that God has given it, and you've dragged it through you you drag it through the mud. He has got to deal with the heart. If you're going to come to Jesus, that's the illumination that he brings into the world. Take a different circumstance: the the Syrophoenician woman who comes to Jesus. Jesus goes over to the area of Tyre and Sidon, which is a uh, a Gentile region, and the woman comes to him, who is a Gentile. She's not a Jew, and he and her her I believe it's her daughter has an unclean spirit, and he and she comes to him and says uh I take this away and Jesus says w- he said why should I why should I give I said it's um oh, I'm drawing a blank it says why give to the, the 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 children have need of bread speaking of the juice why should I give give the bread to the dogs how w- if Jesus were saying that in our culture I mean how would that go over I, I mean that would not he'd be jailed for that right? He, he says that. And the, the response of the woman is phenomenal. She says, but, but even the dogs under the table eat the scraps. And Jesus says, go, go on your way. You know, your, your response here has, has healed your daughter. She doesn't leverage her rights. Her heart's humbled. She sees her need for the only one who can save her. You see that she sets aside her rights she doesn't try and make any boast and she says can I just have some scraps you have the living water can I have some scraps and he and he blessed that you see how when you follow Jesus through the through the gospels when he speaks to people he touches their hearts he's bringing an illumination to their lives He says in Mark 7, I think this, is, this helps capture everything. He's talking about what makes a person unclean. And he says, that which proceeds out of a man, that is what defiles the man. For from within, out of the hearts of men, proceed evil thoughts, fornications, thefts, murders, adulteries, deeds of coveting, and wickedness, as well as deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness you catch what's in that list that, that the, the deed of coveting which we talked about with the kids earlier on desiring something that your neighbor has you know it, it, to, to the point that it consumes you it, is paired with murder that slander speaking ill of someone behind their back is paired with wickedness adultery see how and he's he's saying these things come out of the heart this comes out of the heart this has to be dealt with and so the illuminating light of of christ is to peel back our hearts not to pat us on the shoulder and say hey it's okay it's okay yeah you don't it's okay you're, you're you're fine to say you're not fine but in spite of that I'm going to show you grace. I can save you. The light of Jesus reveals that, yes, we're unworthy. Yes, we're unclean. But he will save us and he will make us new. You see how that puts everybody on a level playing field? Nobody, nobody stands up and boasts in their rights. Nobody draws the circle around their, their moral rights. Everybody's in need of Grace. So Jesus en- enlightens us in the gospel by showing us our need for grace. And, that, and that, that fact that he reveals sin to us and shows our need for grace, it's the very reason that the world ignores him and the Jews rejected him. Look at verses 10 and 11 in, uh, in John 1. He was in the world and the world was made through him and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. Notice what John does. He draws a big circle around the, the world, and, and John uses the term world in different ways. I won't go into that fully, but an interesting personal study would be, how does John use, what does he mean by the world in, in all of his gospel and in 1st uh, and 2nd and 3rd John? Um, but here, what he's talking about is the non-Jewish community, and that's clear because of what he says in verse 11. But notice what he says. He says Christ was in the world. Do you catch that? He's, he's close enough in proximity for, for, for people to ask questions. He was in the world. He's close enough for people to ask about him, and yet they're oblivious. Right? What, what happens when Jesus comes into the world? The very Son of God is born in a small town in Bethlehem. Nobody notices, except for a bunch of raggedy old shepherds that God sent angels to. What about, um, what about John the Baptist? Right? Alan touched on this last week, so I won't belabor it, but it's worth revisiting. said John the Baptist came as a witness. God had to send someone ahead of Jesus to say he's coming. He's coming. Be ready. And people rejected him or, or ignored him. What about Pilate? When Pilate um, and Jesus is before Pilate and Pilate asks all the questions, you know, are you a king? Are you, are you the son of God? He's asking all these questions. It's, it's clear he, he doesn't really know who this guy is. Right? What about the rest of the, of the created world? I, this to me is, is, is just astonishing. When the creator steps into the creation, the creation responds. Right? How, how, does, how, does, how does the natural world respond when Jesus steps into it? Storms stop matter fish and bread multiply before the eyes of people it, it responds in phenomenal ways you know all of these things happen when the crea- created world he says of rocks they will cry out and how do the very image bearers of god respond in the world they ignore they ignore. And there's a lesson for us. We're in the Bible Belt. You know, y- you can throw a stone and hit two churches from here if you're a good baseball player, right? I'm not a good baseball player, but, you know, churches are all over the place. Now, I don't know what, all, what they're all teaching, but I'll bet you each one of them has a Bible. I'll bet you that somewhere in that Bible is the same message that's in this one or in yours. The gospel's not far from any of us. And yet, how easily we get preoccupied with other things and ignore the very thing that we need. So John draws the big circle around the world, says he was in the world, and yet they did not recognize him. He draws a smaller circle around the Jews, and he says they they rejected him. He says, he came to his own. It was an intentional visit. Jesus intentionally came to the Jews. Where did Jesus go and teach? In the synagogues. Who's in the synagogues? The Jews. He came to his own. It says his own did not receive him. The very people of God who are to be light to the Gentiles were steeped in darkness. It's interesting. You see a good example of this in Luke chapter 4. And Jesus comes into the synagogue and he preaches. He opens the book of Isaiah and he, and he preaches from it. And, and he, he says, I've, I've come to proclaim the gospel to the poor. I've come to release captives, to set free, to proclaim the, the year of Jubilee. In a sense, he's, he's saying this and he sits down. And he says, This has been fulfilled in your midst. And the Jews are excited. They're excited. And a few verses later, they're getting ready to throw him off a cliff. What changed? What, what changed in that? In, in, in the few verses that are in between, Jesus says, "Well, wait a minute, and I'm paraphrasing, of course, you can go to John f- uh, Luke 4 and, and, and look this up and read exactly what he says. But he uses two inci- incidences in the Old Testament where God chose to go to Gentiles and grant them blessing. As opposed to the Jews because of the hardness of the heart of the Jews. What's he saying? Because the Jews got the message in, in that day. He's saying your, your heart is as unbelieving as, the, as your own people were in this day. You, you're not really believing who I am. And they got offended. And they wanted to kill him. And again a lesson for us today. There are many who profess faith in Christ. And I know your temptation is to look out there, but look in your own heart. Many who profess faith in Jesus Christ. When the illuminating work of the Spirit actually hits your heart, it's offensive. And that's dangerous. That's what John is saying. The people who profess to be the people of God, just because they profess it doesn't make them so oftentimes, and this is true, that when the illuminating work of, of Christ comes into our hearts, it's offensive. Now we move on. So, so at this point, the default state for people is not well, we're all children of God. We're created in the image of God, which means that we we're, we're accountable to Him. And there's there's honor and there's value in that. But the Bible never uses that same term synonymously with the children of God. In fact, what we see is we're stark enemies of God. We're To borrow from Paul in Ephesians 2, we're, we're children of wrath. And what's revealed in our heart is that there's darkness there. There's darkness that has to be dealt with when the light of the gospel hits us. Do you see how Bunyan says in Pilgrim's Progress, there are so many who claim to be on the path that really are not? And Jesus says the way to eternal life, the gate is narrow and the path is small and there are few who find it. It should cause us to, to look at the gospel and look at our hearts and say, how do I become a, chil- a child of God? Am I one? Because the default is is that, is that that doesn't happen. So how does a person become a child of God? Here, here's the next verse. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. So John says, the majority did not believe. The majority ignored. The majority did not receive. But some did. And some are. So two things in here to highlight. The two words receive and believe. And here's what I want to do. Because again, it, it's the prologue Christianity 101. And we could dive into this for weeks. But I want to go to two vo- two sections in John to help Jesus uh, or to, to give Jesus the opportunity to explain to us more what he means by receive and believe and then I want to use an illustration uh, at, at the end. Um, so, two definitions for receive and believe and then we're going to go to two, sec- two, two uh, sects of scriptures in John. One, to receive. What does he mean to receive him? That's to welcome him completely. To, to welcome him into your life completely. And then to believe. To put full confidence in or to trust in. So those are two words, to receive and believe. John says, how does a person become a child of God? To receive Jesus and to believe him. Now let's look at two, two sections of scripture to, to let Jesus define this a little more clearly for us. Uh, flip over to John chapter five. And let's look at verses 43 and 44. 44. John five, forty three and forty-four. Jesus, and he's speaking to the Pharisees. He says, I have come in my Father's name, and you did not receive me. There's one of our words, receive me. If an excuse me, if another comes in his own name, you will receive him. You'll welcome him. How can you believe? There's our second word. You see, receive and believe, parallel there. When you receive glory from one another and you do not seek the glory that is from the one and only God. What's he saying? He's telling the Pharisees, look, you'll receive, you'll welcome with open arms the praise of other people. You, you'll, you'll welcome that. You, you're so preoccupied with the praise of other people that, that it's blinding you to the praise of God it should tell us something that we're we're eager to welcome people into our lives when you, when you make a new friend or somebody right and you're getting to know this person you you want you want that affirmation from them right you're, you're willing to receive them and to receive praise from them right that's that's we make friendships a lot of times you know that that way And, and for a person that, that doesn't line up that way, would, nope, not going to receive you. There's sort of a dividing that goes in there. But Christ is saying, if you're going to receive me, if you're going to welcome me into your life, you're going to believe in me, you've got to value my praise above the praise of other people. Because if, if, if what John has said is true and the world is darkness, then there's going to be the temptation to love the praise of people over the praise of God. Those two things are going to stand in stark contrast to each other. And Jesus is saying, if you love the praise of people for darkness, then, then you're going to be blinded to believing in me. You're not, you're not going to welcome me because I'm going to be offensive to what you love. Now that leads us to our next text just look over just a little bit further John six, thirty-five. John six thirty-five. Jesus said to them I am the bread of life he who comes to me that's synonymous with receiving he who comes to me will not hunger and he who believes in me will never thirst now there's a lot in here isn't it great we're moving through John because we're going to actually get to this later and we'll get to dive into it more fully but in regard to where we are this morning in the new birth, what does what faith in Jesus do? What does receiving Jesus mean? It means that the gospel, when the, when the light of Christ is appropriated in your hearts, that the gospel gives you new affections to love what God loves, to pursue His glory. That the former bread that you sought for to give you value and worth doesn't satisfy. That you knew doesn't satisfy. You're satisfied in Christ. And that's not some just ethereal concept that we stamp and we put on the backs of t-shirts. That that's a reality. Like there's new affections there that so reorient your heart that the things that you pursued previously to give value and worth in your life don't they're, they're, they're not there. It doesn't mean that you don't still do some of those things that may be good, but you don't place the same weight on them because of the light that Christ has shed into your, into your hearts and given you new affections. And as we come to, belie- to Jesus and believing in Him regularly, and I think it's worth pointing out that in John 1 when he says who have received Him and who believe... The actual Greek term is in the present tense, who go on believing. It's not a one and done, sign the back of your Bible and you're good. It's a continual believing. That, that requires prayer, time in the word. Lord, show me, bring the light of your, your, of, of your gospel into my life daily to help me navigate. Because if I, if I don't seek you, I'm going to be blinded to it fellowship with other believers all of these things as we we receive Christ and as we go on believing we see him change our lives and we affirm the goodness of that change because he's making us new he's making us to be what we know we should be in the first place but we are unable we're unable to do it and he's getting the praise from us let me use an example to kind of help clarify this, and it's a construction example. So, <laughs> there it is. I'll go ahead and f- I'll go ahead and tell you. I can't get away from it. So, I- I- it's interesting when when. Uh, um when, when Al and I go into some of these, these homes downtown and we have a project that we're going to do, it's a bathroom remodel or, you know, something like that, the homeowner goes wa- with us, walks us in, and, 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 and points to the room. And, you know, that's what you talk about. And, and, and if you watch any of these HGTV shows and things where they do a particular remodel or there's going to be an addition, somebody's gone into to their house and looked about and said, you know, we need a change here. This isn't right, doesn't fit, we need a change here. And so they bring in the contractor and they add on a master suite, or they remodel a particular area but what's interesting is that's the only area that's touched that's the only area that's touched well i've been into some 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 of these really old homes in down in downtown Greenville that just to me are, are fascinating, and i've so wanted to just walk in and just tour through the house and see how everything is made and laid out. It just fascinates me. But I can't. A- as a contractor and as a builder, I'm restricted to the area that the homeowner has said, this is what you're supposed to fix right, right here. You know. And it would be wrong of me to go in the other areas. I don't have the authority to go into these other areas of, of the home. you know. I'm, I'm told you work here. You know, this is, this is where, this is where you're, you're to work. And oftentimes, when we, when we think about receiving Jesus and believing in him, we think of it in that sort of Jesus addition, you know. Jesus, you're welcome into my house. In, into, you're welcome into my life, but here are the rooms where you can touch. You know, let's, let me take you up to my kids' room, you know. I got kids and kind of feel like I need some moral direction in here, and so we're going to get back into church. And, you know, Jesus, you can touch my kids' room. You know, I want you to touch this and redo everything here. But you stay out of my bedroom. You stay out of my marriage. You stay out of my kitchen where life happens. Don't come in my garage where work and play, you know, you you go here. You know, there's a Jesus addition. When what John is saying is receiving Jesus and believing in him means you hand him the keys. And you say, Jesus, you've got you to make it new. You ever been in a house? Maybe you've been in one or, or, you've, or you've seen this on TV. This happened with my, my grandparents' house. After my grandparents had passed away and we sold the house, um, my parents were good friends with the, na- with the folks that bought it. And when they bought the house, they did a complete, I mean, they gutted the entire s- inside and, and they, they changed the floor plan. So when you walked in the house, you didn't recognize the house. I mean, it was literally, it was a new house. And receiving, G- uh, receiving Jesus and believing Him is, is like that. You hand Him the keys and you give, him, you give Him the authority. I say, Jesus, make everything new. All the doors are open. You come in, shine your light into these areas and you make it new. You, you make it new. So let me ask you, what rooms are off limits? What rooms of your heart are off limits to Christ? Have you received Jesus and believed in him, but, but you've created a Jesus edition? You sort of tacked a church addition onto the, to your heart, but you've not given him access into these other areas where you need his illuminating light. So we receive him, we believe him, and then what happens? John tells us. He says, to those who received him and who believed him, he gave them the right to become children of God. See, who's got the authority to grant that? That's that's Jesus. That's Jesus. If you're a Christian, you say, I'm a believer in Christ, and one day you believe you're going to stand before God and give an account for yourself. And if God were to ask you, why should I let you in? You're, you're not going to boast in yourself, of course, but you're not going to boast in his, I- even necessarily in his, in his promise. You say, "Well, what what right have you to be in here?" I I don't. But the one who does have a right, the one who paid the penalty on the cross, the one who is the new Adam, who lived the life that I could not live. He's given me his robe of righteousness. He's given me his crown of glory. He's shod my feet with the gospel of peace. I, I wear his clothing. He's given me the right. I don't boast in myself, but it's upon him. Do you see how Jesus matters? That if he is not Lord, if he's not king, if he's not the divine son. If it's not all of these things, the gospel falls apart. And whereas Paul says, "Men most to be pitied," but if he is, it changes everything. That one day, Christ, who has the right to give that that familial relationship, will one day stand before the Lord and say, "Behold, I and the children whom you have given me." So then lastly, verse 13 says, Who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. What is John saying here? How does it it happen? And again, we'll get more into this when we get into John chapter 3. The new birth doesn't happen by any human effort. No human effort can accomplish that new birth, as he says in John three. Flesh can only beget flesh; it can only birth flesh. This has to be a new spiritual birth, and it's not merely affirming a series of doctrines, right? So you can spout off all these doctrines. It doesn't. That doesn't make you a child of God. Does it affect your heart? It must be an illumination unto salvation and that salvation is something that only God can do. That's what he says. We're born of God. Now there's a lot we could say there but let me take you to one one text that's that, that's just very, very helpful in showing us that it is God who brings about the new birth. And I'll just read it for you. 1 John 5, 1. Listen to this. John says, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Son of God, has been born of God. That the first act of, uh, that in the begetting of God of the new birth, the first act of the new birth is faith. John Stott says this well. He says, Our present continuing activity of believing is the result and therefore the evidence of our past experience of new birth, by which we became and remain children of God. So what does this mean? It means that if the illuminating light of God in your heart is showing you your need for Jesus, that is a work of God. It's up to you to appropriate that, to draw near to Him. But it also means that if you are a Christian, that you cannot argue someone into faith. The greatest weapon in a sense that you have in that un- bl- uh, aspect of blindness is prayer is to pray to the lord lord open this person's eyes how often do we go to a person and we plead with them and we might take the gospel with him we might prepare for arguments and we spend very little time in prayer or we look at a person and think well they just need to mature they just need to grow up we think that some sort of uh, of of growing up aspect is what this person needs when in reality there's darkness there that has to be dealt with through the gospel so in closing let me just give a couple points of application one have you received christ and are you believing him not that you pray a prayer at some point not that you have a, a spiritual experience at some point but have you received him have you welcomed him into the totality of your life and said, "Lord, make me new." You notice in, uh, in in all the instances where Jesus meets people and people receive Him, they know their need for Him. They feel their need for Him. He He's the knot that they're that they're hanging on to. Have you received Him and are you believing in Him? And then too, if you're a maybe you are a Christian. Are there rooms in your heart that are off limits to God? That you've, you've, you've closed the door and you, you've said, no, you can work here, Jesus, but you can't work here. You can work in these areas when I'm out in public, but in my private life, you're over here. You can work here in, the, in, in this part, but not in my relationship with, with people or with this certain person. Where is God saying, You need the illuminating light of my spirit and of Christ here. And lastly, can't say it better than Paul in Ephesians 5. Ephesians 5.8, he says, You were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. So walk in the light. If you're a child of God, walk in the light this week. Walk in the light. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you. I, I thank you. I'm, I'm humbled by these words of John. The gospel is so simple. Father, it's like a well. <laughs> it's, like, it's like a well where there's water at the top and there's water at the bottom and a child can reach in and dip a cup and drink from the top. And be Refreshed but it is so deep that we will never be able to plumb its depths to grab the last drop of water from the bottom. May, the, may the, you, through your spirit, Father, do your quickening work in our hearts. May you shine light into all areas of our life, especially me, Father, where I have blind spots and, and areas where I'm, I'm comfortable with you not being there, Father. Unseat me, may you make me give me an unholy discomfort in those areas that would cause me to trust in you to welcome you into those areas because I I have fears Father I have areas in my own life where I love the praise of people more than your praise and it it causes me to want to keep you out Father unsettle me in those areas I pray that you do the same with others here. Father, if there are those that don't know you, that Father have maybe have professed faith in you, but in examining their heart, there's so there's nothing of substance there. There's, there was never really a receiving of Christ. There was never really a turning over of keys of their heart to him. Pray, Father, that you would draw that person to you this morning, that you would illuminate their heart unto salvation. Father, they might bear fruit. They might know the bread of life and be satisfied fully in Him. Thank you and I praise you, Father. May you bring us back next week to be encouraged again through your word. May you sustain us through your word through the rest of this week. It's in Christ's precious name that I pray. Amen. You're dismissed.